Happy Mother's Day. We are going to have a special testimony by Aaron and Michelle, if you guys want to come on up. They have a very special Mother's Day story. As they come up, I want to say a blessing again for all our moms, if you guys will pray with me. Father, this is Mother's Day and we do celebrate it. And we ask and pray blessings on all our moms, both physical moms and spiritual moms. And Father, we just pray that this would be a day of great joy and remembrance as we celebrate all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. just want to say happy Mother's Day to everybody. This one's kind of special to me because it's my wife's first one. Uh, if there's anybody out there who doesn't believe that God's real and he can't show up and show out, not to steal nothing from Timothy, but that he can't show out, then I'm telling you, I know for a fact, because they said we couldn't have kids, and next Saturday my daughter turns nine months old, and I'm amazed every day just how blessed I am to be watch her grow up and get the privilege of being her dad, and that's all I got. I misspoke earlier when I gave my testimony. It was 19 years ago this month. I was 21. And I was told I couldn't have children. And that was right when Aaron and I were falling in love. And I had to tell him. And he loved me. And he said, I'm not doubting God. God will give us children. And I was angry and bitter for a very long time. And one of our biggest arguments was him saying, I can't wait. And I dream of having a family with you. And that was about three, almost four years ago. And I got so angry at him. I said, that dream has died. Stop bringing it up. But I was the fool. God showed me how good he was and how faithful. And even when Aaron said, let's try, I thought, you're a fool. It's not going to work. We're not going to get pregnant. Seven months later, I was pregnant. And I was the fool. And I doubted God. And I was so angry. And Aaron was so faithful. And that song, I stand in awe of you. Every day, I stand in awe of his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And how gracious and loving and forgiving he is. Because those years of me being angry. Because all I ever said I wanted to be was a mama. And I thought that was taken. I may be 40. And advanced maternal age as they say. But I am so blessed every day when I look in those big blue eyes. And I'm scared that I'm going to fail her. But I know God. He's given us a great responsibility as mothers. I had a wonderful example of a mother, and Aaron did too, to raise us into godly young people and to show us the right way. And as though we falter and we failed, our mothers prayed us through. I only hope and pray as a mother and the mothers out there that we look at our children and realize what a gift they are. And they are a miracle, and we are so responsible to show them the love of Christ. Amen. Powerful story, amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. So word to all the gentlemen. A lot of Mother's Day is you get to check out because we talk just to the ladies. Well, you don't get to do that this Sunday. We're going to do a message for men and women and children. So for those of you who are guests, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse. And last week was kind of one of the most controversial messages where Jesus starts the Sermon on the Plain. And he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who mourn, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, cast your name out as evil. And we talked about how that could be. That when you have to leave things behind for the gospel, you are blessed, even if you are poor. And we talked about being poor as not just physical poverty, but it's poor in spirit. It's realizing that we all come to God bankrupt and in need of Him. And hunger is not just physical hunger, but it's hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you have that hunger for God still? Sometimes we lose that hunger. So today we're going to continue in part two of that message. And just a little preview, um, we're going to talk about the Disciples' Playbook. How many of you are watching the NBA Finals? Anybody? Or the semifinals? We've got four teams left. All right, a few of the guys, you just woke up now. Um, well, part of, part of NBA basketball as well as football is you have a playbook. And whenever you look at the playbook, you generally look at your plays, but also you try to watch film on the opposing team so that you can find a way to beat them. So today we're going to look at the Disciples' Playbook. What does it look like to follow Jesus? How does that affect your life? And we're going to look from the coach himself, Jesus Christ. He's going to give us four discipleship dangers. These are things to avoid. And then it's going to be followed by four coaching tips from Jesus himself. And the irony is a lot of these coaching tips are things that you heard from your own mother. So how many of you are ready to jump into God's word? Say amen. All right, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 24. It says, But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. And as we read that, you're like, what is Jesus talking about? We'll we'll talk about what type of rich he's talking about in a bit. Woe to you who are full, for you shall go hungry, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men, all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Before we go into verse 27... Just a little um, understanding. Jesus is talking about people who are rich in this world alone, but poor towards God. So he's saying if all you have is money and stuff and things, when you go on the other side, you're going to be impoverished and it's not going to be a pretty picture. And then he gives us the playbook for his disciples. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Before we read verse 30, is that easy or is that hard? I would say it's impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, do also to them likewise. So what Jesus is doing is here is he's arguing for the most extreme case. And he says if someone smacks you on the face and you turn, if you can love in the extreme case, it's easier to love in the lesser cases. So he's arguing from the extreme case to the lesser case. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to other sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. 
For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let us pray. Father, this is one of the hardest scriptures to apply to our lives. It's perhaps easier to understand than we realize, but it's really hard for the disciple of Jesus to love those who hate us and to turn the cheek when someone strikes us. And it's so hard to live out. It's easy to say this is just metaphorical. But Lord, help us to see this at a deeper level so that it will change us. We don't want information today. We want transformation. We want to be bright lights shining for you today, Jesus. So Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us and forgive us where we fall short of being the disciple that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a a tough scripture to speak on, not because it's hard to understand, but it's hard to do. Warren Wearsby said, When people are satisfied with the lesser things of life, the good instead of the best, then their successes add up only as failures. These people are spiritually bankrupt, and they don't even realize it. Warren Wearsby. So what he's saying is, people of this world... Seek after, how much money can I get? I'm going to get all the money I can, and then I'm going to sit on the can, right? Uh, The people of this world want everyone to like them. But Jesus gives us a different moral. He gives us a different understanding. And by the way, these are not the principles on how to become a Christian. We, We know we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But these are people who are following Jesus. He sets a pretty high standard. And let me ask you a question. If the standard is too high for us, do we lower the standard to make it easier? No, we don't lower the standard, but we allow God to help us grow. So here's what I want to do. If, if on a level of 1 to 10, 1 being new believer in Christ, 10 being you've been following Jesus for 60 years, and I mean, you're, you're doing really well. Um, if you're a level 3, I hope after today you'll move to level 4. If you're a level 6, you'll move to level 7. In other words... Is not perfection, it's progress in the Christian faith. So first of all, let's look at these disciple dangers. What are some things that Jesus wants to us avoid? The first one is this. Danger number one, rich now and poor later. Rich now and poor later. Verse 24 says, But woe to those who are rich, for you have already received your consolation. Many of you have heard and read about Howard Hughes. Um, very wealthy man, lifestyles of the rich and famous. Whenever he died, he left behind, I believe it was somewhere, $2.5 billion. He had a fleet of jets. Uh, he had hotels, casinos in Vegas. He had all this going on for him. But when he died, um, a relative, a near distant relative, claimed his body and said, is this Mr. Hughes? Didn't recognize him. See, Howard Hughes had spent the last 15 years of his life addicted to drugs. He became so weak that someone else had to shoot the drugs up in him. And his 6'4", handsome frame, shriveled down three inches to 6'1", down to 90 pounds. So he had all the world had to offer. But whenever he died, I want to read to you something from Time magazine. They had a moment of silence in all his Las Vegas casinos. It was one minute where they, they wanted to acknowledge his life. And then after the minute was over... One of the um, guys in the casino said, okay, he's had his minute, let's roll the dice. That was it. No one really mourned his death. He had lived the life and then died and left it all behind. So when, when Luke tells us what Jesus said, 
in, in the first verse of her study, woe to you who are rich. He's not saying it's bad to have money. He's saying it's bad if all you have is money. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but it is wrong if all you have is wealth. That's it. What does it profit to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So Jesus is telling the disciples, you know, one of the dangers is you'll be wealthy in this world, but poor towards God. The greatest treasure is Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. Um, In the first service, um, a gentleman came up to me and said something. I believe it was one of his relatives said. And he said, if you love people, you will use money. But if you love money, you'll use people. I thought that was really good. So the idea is money makes a good servant, but a bad master. It's a good servant, but a bad master. If you look at your listening guide, um, it brings up the question, okay, well, I'm not a lost rich person. I'm, I'm a saved person, but I don't know if I'm rich or not. Let me tell you, if you live in America and you have clothes and food, which I'm looking around, you are wealthy. A lot of us think as rich as is a multimillionaire, but in the world standards, we're all wealthy. So... Paul would give us some instructions and other passages in the Bible, including Jesus. Just by application, what advice does the Bible give to those who are materially wealthy? You're a believer and you have stuff. The first one is this, where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. So be sure to invest in those things that really matter. There are at least two things that will endure forever. The word of God and the souls of people. So we need to invest our money, our material possessions in Things that last forever. People and the word of God. And you guys are here today, so that's, that's really good. It's okay to have money, but it's not okay for money to have you. You can't serve two what? can't serve two masters. So are you rich now and poor later? Or are you hungry and thirsty for God and the greatest treasure awaits you on the other side? Being wealthy should not give you a sense of power that you use against the well-being of others who have less than you. That comes from James chapter 5. In other words, if you have money, don't look down on those who don't. Realize that those who have been given much will be required much. Amen? We mentioned this. Money makes a good servant, but a horrible master. Never fall in love with money. It's okay to use money, but don't love it. Don't allow great money to produce great pride in your life. Instead, become rich in good works towards the things of God. So if you look at your listening guide at 1 Timothy 6... And this is relevant to all of us because we all are wealthy compared to world standards. Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be haughty, nor to trust in the uncertain riches, but in the living God. So in other words, if you have money, guess guess where it came from? It came from God. Anything good you have it, if you got it, God gave it. But notice the next phrase. He says, who gives to all richly all things to enjoy. So If you have an eternal perspective, it's okay to enjoy your stuff. Just don't love it. Jesus is the only one who should capture love and his people. Don't fall in love with things. So there's nothing wrong with having money so long as money doesn't have you. Paul goes on to say that we should be rich in good works, to do good, ready to give, willing to share. And verse 19, it says, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. So what, what he's instructing us is everything you have, you're just a steward. You are God's money manager. So one of the disciple dangers is not to fall in love with stuff. Discipleship danger number two, full now and hungry later. Full now and hungry later. Look at verse 25. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. 
Now, a lot of guys don't like this verse because we love all-you-can-eat buffet bars. And I mentioned last week the pound steak. And I mean, what is he talking about full now? I don't think he's primarily talking about food. He's talking about self-satisfaction. It's the idea of I'm so content in this world I really don't want Jesus to come back. I just want to live my life. You know, this world is, you're so caught up into this world. So here's the thing. Imagine, uh, someone tell me your favorite food. Dan, what is your favorite food? What's that? Steak. Okay. Thank you, Dan. So here's the thing. Imagine Dan has got this 16-ounce filet mignon, and he's sitting there with Elaine, and they're on this romantic date, and they're eating the steak, and it's great. You know, great company, great place, great atmosphere. But did you realize that Dan and Elaine has never eaten in a perfect setting with perfect taste buds? And as much as we love them, and they realize you're not perfect, are you? Can you imagine on the other side of eternity when you're in the presence of God, a perfect place? All of us have been perfected, perfect atmosphere, perfect taste buds. You've never eaten a piece of food without the effects of sin. Have you ever thought about it? As good as it is, your taste buds aren't perfect. So... When he says, woe to you are a fool now, think about it. This world, as good as it is, as beautiful as God has made, it's nothing compared to the world to come. We are just seeing the reflection. We've never experienced the perfection. So he gives us this discipleship danger. Don't be full of yourself. Because if you're full of yourself, some of the things that will be produced is pride, selfishness, and greed. Instead of being full of yourself, who should you be full of? The Holy Spirit, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're full of the Spirit, you'll produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is one fruit, nine flavors, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, so on. So instead of being full of this world and satisfied, we need to have this insatiable appetite for the things of God where we're hungry and thirsty for what? For righteousness, So don't be full now and hungry later. Be hungry for God. Be hungry for the things of God. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be filled. The third discipleship danger is this. Happy now and sorrow later. Happy now and sorrow later. The last part of verse 25, it says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now is God anti-laughter? Should we walk around as stoic Christians? serious and somber? I don't think so. So what what type of laughter is he talking about? Well, I believe that Luke is quoting Jesus' words. And what Jesus is talking about is this. Don't be laughing at the things that make God angry. Don't be laughing at the things of this world that are sinful. For all of you who work in the secular marketplace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I worked in the car lot a few months, and I've heard my share of jokes that people laugh at. I'm just like... Imagine if Jesus Christ was in the room, would he be laughing at these jokes? So the idea is, it's okay to laugh, but don't laugh at the things that are just going to bring you down. Don't laugh at the things that are going to bring you dirty. Don't laugh at the things that mock at the, the things of God. So it would be laughing at the poor and weak, laughing at the people of God, laughing at the things of this world. Isaiah 50, uh, 520, excuse me, Isaiah 520 says it like this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 
So here's the thing. God is all for laughter and joy, but the right type of joy and laughter. Nehemiah 8.10, you guys tell me if you know this verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God's all about laughter. Proverbs 17.22, my mom used to quote this all the time. A merry heart does good like medicine. Psalm 126, 2 and 3. Then our mouths will be filled with laughter. Our tongue with singing. So here's the thing. God is all for joy and laughter. But just make sure you're laughing about the things that really matter. Not the things that God would call evil. Um, another relevant example. Um, recently, just a little over a year ago. Uh, many of you heard about Hugh Hefner. Um, he passed away at the age of 91. And Hugh Hefner was what is sadly called the adult entertainment business, where he was you know, doing that for many, many years. But you know what? He, he died, and he lived his life full of luxury and pleasure and everything the world could offer. But you know what? He's dead. And the only thing that matters on the other side is what did you do with Jesus? Now, I hope to God that in his last dying breath that he accepted Christ. We don't know what happens on someone's deathbed, but if he left this world without Christ... He left the world poor. So are you happy now and sorrow later? Or are you going through the hardships of this world and you know that joy comes in the morning? He saves his best for last. Amen. Danger number four. Praise now and punish later. Look at verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now, is Jesus advocating we have bad people skills? Is Jesus advocating we act in such a way that no one likes us? I don't think so. He's saying that if the world likes you, then you need to check up. Because if the world likes you, then you're just like the world. And Jesus said the world hated him, so guess what? The world's going to hate you. So if you fit in without any pushback, if no one's ever rejected you because of your faith, you have to look at it. Because let me read you a scripture in John 15. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is now, you do not belong to the world. For I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So here's the thing. As a Christian, following Jesus, you will get criticism. Did you know that? Not everyone's going to like you. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the truth. But here's the thing. You need to stand up and shine the light. Because if you don't want any criticism, as someone once said, you do nothing, you say nothing, and you be nothing. But Jesus has called us to be salt and light. Salt makes things more uh, tasteful, and light makes things more attractive. So you will get pushback from the world. I was talking to a gentleman recently in Waynesville. He's in his 70s, maybe 60s. And he, he, was, he was talking about how good people he thinks will make it to heaven. And we're having this conversation, and the, the other gentleman at the table agreed with him. And these are Christian, Christian believers. And I said, I, I don't want to you know, uh, push back, but just respectfully, only perfect people make it to heaven, not good people. If you're a good old boy, good old girl, that's great. But to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. And there was only one person who was perfect, and who was that? The Lord Jesus Christ. So I explained to him, it's great to have morality, it's good to be a good person, but that doesn't save you. Because just one sin would keep you out of heaven. Because heaven's perfect. And if you went to heaven imperfect, guess what? You would mess heaven up for everybody. 
So the only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and what he did. And I was telling him, like, if, if good people make it to heaven, then why did Jesus come? He came for nothing if that was the case. So what Jesus is giving us is having an eternal perspective. Good people don't make it to heaven, just perfected people. So we talked about four discipleship dangers. Now let's look at what Jesus would give us for being his disciple. Now these are not legalistic code. This is an attitude of the disciple. These things don't save you. These are already disciples who are following Jesus. If you look at the Sermon on the Plain, the crowd was there, but he looked toward his disciples giving this teaching. So the first one is this. Life lesson number one, love the unlovable. Did your mother ever tell you to love the unlovable? Yeah, it sounds like something your mom would say, right? Look at verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. So that, that, that brings up a challenge, like how do I love those who hate me? You know, let's be honest, it's really hard to do that. And if I'm transparent with you this morning, this is one of the hardest things for me to do, is to be nice to those who aren't nice to me. You know how it is, you see someone in the grocery store and it's someone that you know that doesn't like you, what do you do? <laughs> but Jesus says, that's not good enough, Timothy, you have to love them and do nice things for those who aren't nice. As I was reading this, I had to repent. I'm just being honest with you. Before I preach this to you, I have to preach it to myself. I don't measure up. So I'm like, Jesus, help me. Help me to grow in this. Life lesson number two. Do good to those who do bad to you. Look at verse 28. Bless those who what? Curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. So here's the imagery. How can you bless those who are cursing you? Well, it goes back to your identity. If you realize who you are in Christ, are you blessed in Christ already? Absolutely. Paul says he's blessed us with ever the heavenly blessings. So listen, you can try to curse me, but it won't stick because I'm already blessed. You can't curse what God has blessed. How can I pray for those who are cursing me out, talking bad about me? I can pray for you because Jesus is praying for me right now at God's right hand. He's interceding at God's... So he's interceding at the throne. So when you, when you process this, it goes back to an identity issue. I can bless because I'm already blessed. I can pray because I'm, God's praying for me. And recently, um, this year, just uh, application to tell you, every year a church goes through the Daniel fast. And many of you went through that. And it's, it's a good time not just of detoxing your body but detoxing your soul. One of the things God led me to do several years back, um, I had a, a minister that was like a best friend. And it was one of those things where he betrayed me and told lies about me. And it was just like, I thought you were my friend, you know, that type situation. And the Lord allowed, led on my heart to write him a letter telling him what I thought, telling him off. Just kidding. I didn't, you're like, did he really? No, it was that wouldn't have been God, right? No, the Lord led me to write a letter of blessing, not bringing up the past, but saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I pray God's blessings on you. I didn't bring up anything from the past. So before I did it, I asked my wife, I was like, is this God or is this the devil? Because I really don't want to have anything to do with this guy. I've forgiven him, but I don't necessarily reach out or reconnect with this guy. It's been many years. And she said, listen, the devil wouldn't lead you to do something of reconciliation. That has to be God. I'm like, all right. My wife says it, I'm feeling it, so I sent the, the email out, and the response blew me away. Instead of negativity back, he responded with blessing. I'm praying for you too, and please pray for my family. And it was just like, so it wasn't just healing for him, it was healing for me. So when, when you pray for someone that's an enemy, 
or someone that's hurt you is not just that God will change them, it also changes you. That's the power of prayer, amen? Life lesson number three. Be generous both to the needy and to the greedy. Look at verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you. For him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. So here's the thing. Like, is Jesus saying you just carte blanche, you just write a check to anyone that asks? Is, is that what he's saying? I, I think looking in the context of Scripture, I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying have an attitude of generosity. It's better to err on the side of generosity than greed. And many churches are known, oh, the church just wants my what? Money, right? You've heard that. What if the church is known for giving? What if the church is known for generosity? What if Christians are known for the, as the most generous people on planet Earth? Do you think that's going to point people back to God? It's going to shine the light of Christ? So I think there's discernment there. But I think the idea behind it is have an attitude of generosity. If you see someone in need and you can help them out, go do it. Don't find excuses of why you can't. You can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. A lot of times we say, I can't help all the hungry people around the world, but can you help one child? Can you help one person in need? You may not help everybody, but you can help someone. Andy Stanley says it like this, do for one what you wished you could do for the many. Do for one what you wish you could do for the many. That way you won't excuse yourself and help out nobody, but you'll help out someone. Amen. Verse 34 it says, and if you lend to those who, whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners hoping to receive as much back. There's many people, I'm sure, in the church today, you've lent money out, and guess what? No one's repaid it. Let me ask you a question, just thinking from an eternal perspective. Who do you think will pay you back better, the person if they pay back the loan, or God who will make it up to you throughout eternity? Just a thought. I'd rather God pay me back than have someone embittered and sever the relationship. Sometimes it's saying, okay, you can't, I, I forgive you. Just as Jesus has forgiven my sin debt, let's, listen, I'm okay. God's going to make it up to me. I'll release you. Sometimes the Lord will lead us to that. I read a story about Abraham Lincoln when he was an attorney. There was a man that wanted to hire him for a court case. And at that day and time, the guy owed him, he, he, this other gentleman owed him $2.50. I don't know what the modern day equivalent would be. Let's say $500. But he owed him $2.50. Um, the debtor couldn't pay it off. He was in poverty. Abraham Lincoln tried to discourage him from the court case. He said, listen, you don't want to do that. The guy's really poor. He can't make it up. The guy said, no, I want justice. So he said, listen, I will do your case for $10, and I'll try to get your, your debt back. And the guy agreed to you. So you do the math. That doesn't make sense either. So Abraham Lincoln took on the case according to the story, and he contacted the defendant, the guy that owed the money, and he said, listen, I will give you $5. I'll give you half of what I'm getting if you'll just pay back the 250 So that they did, and the court was settled. The case was settled. And surprisingly, the prosecutor, that the guy that wanted the money back, was happy with that. And it's just like, you know, if you look at it, we all owe debts we can't pay. Spiritually, there's no way we could repay the debt. And we know that Christ paid the debt for us we couldn't owe. So be generous, both to the needy and to the greedy. It says give. And it says, if someone takes from you, listen, don't wig out. Don't try to demand it back. Trust that God will fight your battles for you. Amen? And finally, number four, life lesson number four. This is something your mama always told you. Taught you. Treat others like you want to be treated. This is called the golden rule. Now, this teaching is found in other faith systems. And you read uh, philosophy, it's found, but usually it's stated in the negative. Like, if someone hurts you, don't hurt them back. 
this is one of the only cases I've seen where Jesus does positive. It's easy not to do bad back to someone. I mean, that's easier than Jesus says do good. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's going to the next level. Like, okay, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not just not going to hurt you, but I'm going to do good to you. So he takes the golden rule to another level. Uh, some of you may have remember Grimm's fairy tales and uh, a collection of fairy tales. One of them that really struck to me was this story about this, this, this husband and wife that had just gotten married. And his dad, the, the husband's dad, was declining in health. And, you know, they had just gotten married, but they let the dad move in. And he, he was declining so fast that whenever he ate, his teeth would chatter and he would drool all over the table. And the daughter-in-law did not like it. She was talking to her husband and said, Your dad, I mean, no one else can handle it, but I have to clean up after this. In time, they had a four-year-old son, and so he was there. And the father just kept going worse and worse, and the son and the daughter-in-law became less and less loving towards him. So eventually, they moved him away from the dinner table, and they set him on a stool with a bowl on the side because they said at least... If he's going to drool, it's going to, not going to be on my clean linen cloth. It's going to be on the table. So one day he was eating and he, his feeble hands dropped the bowl and it shattered. And the daughter-in-law was like, here we go again. She said, if you're going to be a pig, I'm going to build you a trough. So they built him a trough and he began to eat his food in the corner in a trough. And no more messes. And the daughter-in-law was happy. Grandpa over here is not making any more messes. So shortly thereafter, they built the trough, and the four-year-old son was found playing in the woods. And the father found him and said, what are you doing? He was putting together pieces of wood. He said, I'm building a trough just like you built for grandfather, so that when you're old, I'll have something to feed you out of. The next dinner, he was back at the table. So treat others like you want to be treated, because you never know. You may need grace and mercy one day yourselves. Amen. So let's look at... I call this People Skills 101. This is on your listening guide just to summarize Jesus' teaching. Treat others like you want to be treated. Love others like you want to be loved. Do you want to be loved conditionally or unconditionally? Unconditionally, right? Give to others gifts that you want to receive yourself. So the golden rule is treating others like you want to be treated. So when you, get, when you give someone a gift, it doesn't mean it has to be elaborate, but would you want to receive that gift? That's a, that's a very practical thought. Show mercy to others because one day you'll need mercy yourselves. And if you've not been merciful in your day of need, how can you expect to receive mercy back? Amen. So let's look at the scorecard. We talked about the, the discipleship dangers. And let's look at the scorecard. Love. How well do I love others? Live. Have I treated those who are hard to deal with? How do I treat them? Give. Am I generous to those who can't repay me? So the four dangers, just by review, rich now and poor later. We want to be hungry and thirsty for God. We don't want to be satisfied with this world. So full now or hungry later. Happy now or sorrow later. Praise now or punish later. So Jesus presents us a whole motif that this world, if you gain the whole world and let yet lose your soul, you've lost everything. Let's look at the lessons that Jesus has given us. Love the unlovable. Do good to those who do bad to you. Be generous both to the needy and the greedy. And treat others like you want to be treated. To summarize this message in a sentence. Love like Jesus. Live like Jesus. And give like Jesus. 
So I want you to go away with three words if you forget what we've talked about. Love, live, and give. Say it with me. Love, live, and give. These things don't save you, but these things resemble that you are following Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Father, I know that um, there's many in here today that maybe they've borrowed money to someone and someone hasn't paid them back. And that's produced some hurt in their hearts. And I pray that by Jesus' teaching that we would just forgive and move forward and we would cleanse our soul. We wouldn't hold grudges. Because spiritually we've been forgiven a debt that we could never repay. And Father, I know there's some here like myself that you kind of avoid negative people and you kind of, it's hard to do good to bad people. So Lord, uh, forgive us. And if that's you, just like I repented, just ask God to forgive you. And while the believers continue to pray, whatever God struck in your heart, pray and ask for his help, his forgiveness. I want to talk to someone today that maybe you're like my friend in Waynesville that you thought good people could make it to heaven. And today you've heard the gospel that, no, it's perfect people and only Jesus was perfect. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you and to make you perfect through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, right where you're seating, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I realize I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. And Jesus, I want a new life. I want to be forgiven. I don't want anything to separate me from you anymore. So forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. You were buried and you rose on the third day. So I could have new life. Jesus, come into my life and make me brand new. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the kingdom. We want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, you see our hearts and our prayers. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.